This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Let's take a second to thank today's sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is by far the absolute easiest way to make a podcast. And when I say easy, I mean easy. First of all, it's completely free and there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit right from your phone or your computer. Best of all, with Anchor, you can add any songs from Spotify directly to your episodes. So the possibilities are endless on what you can create. Whether you want to create a music analysis, your own radio show, a deep dive on your favorite genre or artist, or something that the world's never heard before. Anchor will even help publish your show to Spotify so you can reach hundreds of millions of listeners. Oh, did I mention there's no copyright on the songs? Yeah, it's that easy. If you guys want to start a podcast that includes music or you guys just want to start a podcast in general, get started by downloading the free Anchor app or going to anchor.fm. And if you need some inspiration, you can head over to blog.anchor.fm music from some more idea starters. Thank you so much and let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Real Real Podcast with Natalie Barbu. Instagram might be your highlight reel, but we're here to talk about the real real. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu. In today's episode, I am interviewing Lucy Fink, which you guys seemed to really enjoy when I posted on my story that I was interviewing her. She is another YouTuber, content creator, and she is best known for her work at Refinery29. She worked there pretty much in the very beginning and created so many amazing web series with them and still did contract work with them even after she quit her job there, but she's pretty much a full-time content creator now she's making content that entertains all of her viewers and super creative i wish i had the ideas that she had when it came to creating fun interesting videos because i feel like she has such a gift for just creating videos that are different but super entertaining and just show kind of like a different side of life so she has all of like the lucy tries videos um she has a ton of videos where she's like working at different industries trying a different challenge five days a week it's just really really cool seeing her content and seeing her bring it to life and she is actually also a fellow New York City YouTuber so we actually did this interview over Zoom because of course the pandemic she's not in the city but it was still super fun and really great to meet her she's always one of those people that I was wanting to meet because I knew that she lived in New York and I just kind of like following New York City YouTubers and she's just really really awesome so I am super excited for this interview and I know that you guys are going to love it just because it's one of those interviews where you guys were really asking me to interview her whenever I said which New York City YouTubers I should interview. You guys are so excited when I announced that I was interviewing her, so I cannot wait for you guys to listen to this one, and I also kind of want to shout out her course. So we filmed this video, or we filmed this um, podcast, recorded this podcast a little bit ago. It was probably about a month ago, maybe even over a month ago since it's going up, and since then she actually created an Instagram course, and she didn't talk about it in the podcast, but I cannot upload this without talking about it because I think it's going to help so many of you guys. So if any of you guys are interested in um, an Instagram course, kind of really how to grow your Instagram and make it into a business, then you guys need to check out her course. I'll have that in the show notes as well, but it's amazing and I really think that you guys will enjoy it. So 
anyways thank you guys all for the super kind reviews i have been reading them they mean so much to me we are over 600 reviews which is just wild and mind-blowing i'd love to get to a thousand at one point i know that's not gonna happen overnight but that would be amazing if before the year ends we could get to a thousand reviews so if you guys do find value in this podcast if you guys do find it entertaining if you guys ever listen to this podcast and like what you are listening to then please 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 be sure to give me a review on itunes that would mean so much to me and please dm me if you do i would love to just personally thank you and just like talk to you for a little bit in my dms so please be sure to dm me if you do leave a review and like screenshot it and all of that good stuff but anyways i know that you guys will love this episode i can't wait for you guys to listen to it and let's get into the episode with lucy life doesn't happen bi-weekly so why should payday the money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with earnin earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work not just waiting for payday with earnin you can access up to a hundred dollars per day or up to 750 dollars per pay period just download the earnin app and verify your paycheck then access up to a hundred dollars a day as you work and leave an optional tip any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck so think about it the next time you're planning a special night out you need a last minute gift for a loved one or you face an unexpected expense like maybe a trip to the vet Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard-earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Ares tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream, it is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz-free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 450 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration, and according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. 
So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you on. I feel like we know so many of the same people, so many of the people that watch you and me are in the same community. So I'm really excited to finally have you on the podcast. Such a small world. I know. I'm so excited. Yeah. So first, we're going to start with setting the record straight. This is just some stereotypes and assumptions, and you'll tell me if they're true or false. So the (laughs) first one is you need to have a lot of experience in video before going into production. Um. We'll say that's false. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you can, I mean, everyone needs their first experience somewhere, you know, how did you major in um, video production or what was your major in school? So my major was creative writing and that was my second major after I kind of switched out of the pre-med track. So I went to Johns Hopkins University. Initially, I was heading down the pre-med route and I was a neuroscience major undeclared, but that was kind of the course load that I was taking Mm -hmm. on. And I pretty quickly realized that the medical route was just not right for me. I had a whole other interest in production and entertainment and media. Hopkins didn't really have a dedicated media department. That was exactly what I was looking for. So I chose to just major in creative writing, thinking that's a really fun kind of enjoyable and creative major where I can do all the video content that I want to do on the side. And so all through college, I was making video content for the admissions office at Johns Hopkins. And that was sort of my first foray into YouTube through their YouTube channel. But the reason I say false to that first question is just because today the barrier to entry, especially with video and production is just so low. Right. You You could just use your iPhone and shoot content and upload it on YouTube and go viral and become a huge YouTuber. So you don't need major experience at a network or anything. And TikTok is even easier, you know, like you just record it on your phone and upload it in real time. Like, I feel like it's so low budget, like low, I don't want to say low skill because it's just like kind of you're saying the barrier to entry is lower. Like you don't have to have a whole production crew lighting and all of that to like go viral or be successful. Absolutely. And TikTok is a perfect example of an app where the features that are embedded in the app are actually meant to make editing easy and doable for everyone. Whereas if you rewind three years in order to get those effects that you see on TikTok videos, someone would have had to be a master video editor in Final Cut Pro or Adobe Premiere. And now it's just the touch of a button and you can add the cool transitions and sound effects and it just makes it super easy for everyone. I actually never thought about that, how easy it is to just edit on the app. And that's one of the only apps that does that. Yep. Yeah, I never thought about that. Um, And the next one is it's hard to have privacy when you share a lot of your life on social media. That one's true. I I think you have to be picky in terms of what you choose to share if you do want to have any sense of privacy. Listen, a lot of people who are YouTubers or Instagrammers just don't care about the word privacy and they (laughs) they don't care to keep anything private. I think I would maybe skew more towards that type of person, but I do have family members, namely my husband and my sister and my parents who are more private. And so if I'm going to be sharing my life, a lot of that is unknowingly sharing their life. Mm -hmm. So I've had to just sort of balance 
what I'm sharing, knowing that everyone's kind of involved in my life story. Right, right. Like your life is your business in a sense, you know, like what you're, what you're posting. And that's the same with me. I do a lot of vlogs and I'm posting on Instagram a lot. So it is like my roommate is always in my videos, my boyfriend's in my videos and they didn't really sign up for it. So I like <laughs> don't try to like shove the camera in their face. But it is, you have to be careful with like, oh, I have to vlog this week because I have a video coming up, but like I want to go on vacation with my family. Like how is that going to work? So I I think it is definitely difficult if you are in the like our lifestyle community to kind of maintain that privacy. Definitely. And what I've started doing is kind of booking my family members <laughs> ahead of time if I need them to be in a video or if I want them to pop in and do something. Not that I'm like booking their actual schedule, but I am putting it on their radar a couple of weeks ahead of time so that they can prepare themselves because these are people who do not work in media. They don't work in front of the camera. It's, I always forget that it's not easy for everyone to just pop on camera and talk and be normal. And for them, they kind of feel a sense of, I wish you had told me that this was coming up so I could maybe just mentally prepare myself. So I've started giving them a couple weeks notice when I can and also asking first if it's okay and working around that and often cutting them out if they don't want to be in it. Right. No, I I completely agree. I try to let them know if I'm like vlogging or not or like if I want them to do a podcast with me or something like that (laughs) just ahead of time. Yep. And the next one is running your own social media plus YouTube is a full-time job and it's similar to running your own business. Definitely true. That is, I think a lot of people see the back end or I guess the front end of what goes up on Instagram or YouTube. And they think it's kind of something you just did in your spare time or on the weekends, or they see the final product and it's a 10 minute video. So they maybe think it took 10 minutes, (laughs) but really the, the back end process of social media content is I would say a full-time endeavor. Yes, there are many people who do it part-time while they are doing another job so that they can sustain it. But for me, and I know so many other people who do this full-time, it is absolutely a full-time job and actually so much so that I can't even do it all myself. So I have a team, a small team of people that works with me to help me. And I have no idea how I would do it without them. Right. I mean, that alone is like running a business, like choosing who to take on to your team. And also, like you were saying, how you it takes a lot, a long time to like edit a video, produce a video. And a lot of like people don't realize that if let's say you think of a commercial, there's so many people that are doing all the different parts. And with this, it's kind of like all you like, I know you have a team, but like really like you're wearing so many hats. You're being the creative director, the producer. You're also trying to negotiate your rates for yourself, seeing what you can and can't do with brand deals. You know, like there's just so many hats that you wear when you are doing this full time. And it is so much more of a business than I think people realize. 100%. Like posting a picture isn't necessarily just posting a picture. You know, like there's the emails back and forth with did this get approved or what the captions would say. (laughs) Oh God, the approvals. Yeah. Yeah, I actually remember being at Refinery29, that was sort of a good model for me of how a big team can function because at refinery I was responsible for coming up with the video topic ideas and then actually executing the production and seeing the video through to completion alongside Mm -hmm. the editor, giving them notes and working back and forth until I felt like it was where I wanted it to be. 
But once the video was done, that was where the power of Refinery29 came in because they had an entire YouTube team whose job it was to title, upload, optimize, make the mm -hmm. thumbnail, community manage, the whole YouTube side of things. And then there were loads and loads of other people who were each doing their individual job to take that one asset I created and blast it out to every platform that Refinery is on in the proper form. So they would right. cut it in from 16 by nine to nine by 16 for Snapchat. They would optimize it for Facebook by cutting it square and adding subtitles. They would cut photo assets out of it to make it a Pinterest shareable. And each video got such a long shelf life and had such a huge impact because it was properly being changed and optimized per platform. And now that was something I never really thought about, but on my own, now when the video's done, I'm putting it on YouTube, yeah. <laughs> I'm titling it, I'm managing the community. And then if I want to put it on any platform besides YouTube, that's up to me to cut it down in the proper shape and create a new asset and manage all those other platforms too. Right, right. And I feel like it's it's so much easier said like, oh yeah, just optimize it for all the different platforms. It takes so much time to do that. And you also have to be like responding to your emails and doing everything else too. Like it's <laughs> it's literally a full-time job and I feel like it's cool that you saw it from that bigger scale, like a huge, huge, huge company to now being like on your own, which I'm really excited to talk about. Yeah, because so, now I can kind of see, you know, where I want to go when I get right. to the stage. I kind of know like what a fully functioning team looks like. And that's kind of where I'm aiming to go. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really, really cool. Because so you started like bigger and now no, I don't want to say you're small because you're not small. But, you know, <laughs> you go from like a corporation to them by yourself. But yeah. you kind of know what you want to be at one point, which I think mm -hmm. is like absolutely. Really cool. And what did you want to be when you grew up? So like, were you always interested in video and the creative side of things? Because I know you said you wanted to go to med school or you were in the medical path. So yeah, how did that shift? So when I was really, really young, I think medicine was always at the forefront of my mind. And when I think back, I was always watching TLC, a surgery story. And I was always just watching open heart surgery on TV. My parents would walk in and be like, what is going on? <laughs> and I also have a twin who she is just so not interested in watching surgery. So there's something I always say to people, it's kind of hard to explain as twins, we were not competitive or, you know, our parents never put us against each other in any way, but there is something that's interesting when you do have a twin sibling and you realize that you can do something that they can't do, you sort of feel this like inner calling that maybe that's your, your thing. Right. And for me, that was always the medical stuff. She, she couldn't watch the shows. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm meant to be a doctor because I can. <laughs> and my mom had a really close friend who was a plastic surgeon who came to our house when we were really young. And she basically taught us how to suture together pig's feet <laughs> that's so funny that's so <laughs> my sister like ran out of the kitchen and she's like I can't be near this so I'm sitting there being like this is totally my thing I think I'm gonna be a doctor when we decided to go to college together we both chose Johns Hopkins we wanted to go together so mm -hmm. we chose Johns Hopkins just because it was the best school we got into and by the time that happened I sort of was like, well, this is even further reason why I should be a doctor because it's Hopkins. And 
I went to the school, but I, I think it's worth mentioning that throughout my whole childhood, I was a performer. So I was in plays. I was always picking up cameras and making video content at home. Like I used to shoot commercials of myself, like making, teaching my family how to make sandwiches or how yeah. to brush your <laughs> teeth properly. And I always like presenting and performing. And so when I got to college, I sort of initially went down that medical route, but on the side, like my extracurricular time, I was just making videos. And the first thing I did at school was I signed up to work for the admissions office and I pitched them the YouTube series idea, which they let me create. It was basically like a travel channel series about Baltimore to show prospective students what the city looked like. That's so advanced I feel like like it's like a school I've never heard of a school doing like a fun YouTube series it's usually like really boring videos <laughs> well it's actually funny that you say that because I thought it was a great idea but I I personally just wanted to make it because I wanted my friends back home to like see what I was doing and see the city but since I left this school has stopped doing the series yeah. <laughs> it's really just like a four-year thing that they did and it became really successful it was the most viewed videos on the university's admissions channel were my series that I produced there. And by the time I was like a junior senior in college, the videos were being mentioned in many, many students' applications as the reason that they applied to the school. That's so crazy. I convinced the admissions office that it needed to be a paid job instead of just an, an extracurricular fun activity. And so by the end of my college experience, I turned it into a student job. But that was pretty much my freshman year. I was just doing that video stuff for fun on the side, and I was really committed to the medical classes. And then it took about one semester before I put it all together. I, I realized that being at Hopkins, I was surrounded by all these star medical students who mm -hmm. were not like me. It wasn't like they just liked watching C-section videos on YouTube, but they were like dedicated to being doctors for their whole lives. They had been interning in hospitals since they were in middle school and doing research. And I was like in the drama club. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I, I also started thinking more about post-college and it just started hitting me more how many more years of school there would be to go down the medical route and how I probably wouldn't be able to move to New York City because I'd need to just get a residency and be matched wherever I get picked to match. Right. So pretty soon after speaking to my best friend who did end up going pre-med, I was like, I got to switch out of this. Yeah. So that was when I switched into the creative writing path. Did you do video stuff there as well? Or was your main video focus like with the admissions? And did you have like your own YouTube channel at the time? So my main video focus was admissions. I I think I had a YouTube channel in that it was tied to my Gmail account, but I was not uploading anything right. on my own. I, I think the only other video content I did was I, I did like a brief stint where I signed up for the school's news channel and I like made a couple of news casting videos about different things going on on campus, but I didn't really love that. I found that I really gravitated towards just entertainment content rather than hard news stories. And I think the other thing about the video content and why I didn't have a YouTube channel was, to be honest, 
if you had asked me when I was in college and I was making this what I wanted to do, I would never have said I want to be on YouTube. That's so funny. And I would, I had no interest in starting my own channel and becoming a YouTuber and like trying to grow from scratch. I always wanted to work at a company and to produce content for a bigger entity. And when I got to Refinery29, I'm sure we're going to get to like the pathway there, but when I ultimately got there, they just threw me on YouTube. They, they very much could have been like, you're going to be our Facebook live person, or you're going to be our Snapchat person, but they mainly put me on YouTube. And that just sort of opened the door to that whole world for me and led me to where I am now. But I don't think I would have chosen to go down it because I just didn't know about it. And I, I didn't watch YouTubers myself. That's so funny that you didn't, you weren't really like in the world because of YouTube beforehand, because I feel like so many people on YouTube, they start because it's like, oh, I had a bunch of favorite beauty gurus that I watched and like, that's why I started. But you kind of literally were just like thrown into it, which I think is really, really cool. And when you did get the job for Refinery29, how was that? Was that like your first job out of college or how did you get that position? So my first job was at a company called Ogilvy and Mather. It's a, it's a ad agency. And I really chose to go into that field because when I graduated, it was 2014. And even though I had all this video experience, I had all the Hopkins clips and all throughout college, I probably went on to the Today Show about six or seven times in college as like a millennial spokesperson answering questions about teens and parents and, and That's that kind so of stuff. Cool. Yeah. And that was a really that was a great way for me to get a live video reel as well as a produced YouTube reel. So I had this video experience when I graduated, but I had no idea what to do with it. And it was kind of, yes, there were YouTubers. There were a lot of people who were successful YouTubers, but once again, as I mentioned, I didn't watch any of them or know any of them. I think I'm like four years older than you. You said you're 23 or 24. I'm 24. Mm -hmm. 24. So I'm turning 28 next month two months from now. And I, no one in my grade watched YouTube. It just yeah. like was not, I think my grade was like cut off area and maybe people did, but like literally I didn't hear anyone talking about YouTubers. To, to me, a celebrity was a Hollywood type star right. or a singer. It was not a YouTuber. And even to this day, my friends don't know YouTubers, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've of course entered myself into the world. So now I do. But when I graduated college, even the companies like BuzzFeed and Refinery that build their own internal YouTubers or talent, that wasn't even happening yet. So I was like, how can I get a job on camera? What type of on-camera roles are there? And the only thing that I could think of was trying to be a newscaster and applying for like a news program and Mm -hmm. being a reporter or some sort of red carpet, you know, celebrity gossip, e-news type hosting gig, which both of those were just not up my alley. The news one was just not anything I was interested in. And the celebrity gossip stuff, I just, I don't follow celebrity news. So I could totally see myself being interviewing someone on a red carpet and yeah. just not knowing who they are. <laughs> that could so. actually be so funny though. Imagine <laughs> if you were just like at the Grammys and they're like, so who are you? <laughs> yeah. Um, like there's plenty of celebrities that I, could not pick out of a lineup. I just yeah. say, heard their name over and over again, but 
you know, if you just showed me five people that look sort of like them, I don't think I could pick them out. <laughs> so that's okay. kind of where I was at with the celebrity news. And especially after now having worked at Refinery and seeing people who are dedicated to that, I'm so glad I didn't pursue that because there's people who that's their passion and <laughs> they're really good at it. And I don't think people like me should take those spots <laughs> from yeah. that. So I had no idea what type of job to go down. And I felt like I'm not going to, I don't have like a platform yet. I can't just get an agent right now. So what I decided to do was just go behind the scenes and be a producer. And I remember saying like, I think I, I'll just go work at this ad agency and I'll be on the production behind the scenes side. And if an opportunity to be on camera presents itself, I'll take it. But if not, I'm just going to be a producer and I'm not mm. going to really pursue the on-camera side. So I started my first job at Ogilvy. I was totally behind the scenes, like the lowest level on the totem pole, associate producer, like production assistant level. My team was like flying to Russia and Vietnam to shoot these amazing films and for brands. And I was staying back in the office, yeah. like filing the papers and... <laughs> I, I thought it was cool because it was amazing big brand names and, and big budgets, but I wasn't really doing anything fancy or, or sexy at all. And essentially, I just told myself I was going to let the on-camera stuff go, but I couldn't let it go. And so any chance I had, any meeting I had, I used the meeting as a way to tell the person I was meeting with that I wanted to be on camera and to share with them the video clips that I had you know, gathered of myself in the past and to play my reel for them. And one woman in specific, she was the chief creative officer at Ogilvy. She was like a huge, you know, one of the high up women. And I met with her and shared with her all of my stuff. And I could tell that she, I could tell that when I first went in the meeting and she didn't know anything about me, she, not that she didn't care about me, but I could tell that she was like, I take these meetings all the time. And make it fast. Right. And then as soon your as elevator was, pitch. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, so what do you, what's your goal? Whatever. And then I shared her with her, all of my video clips and played her different things that I was making. And this is kind of a side story, but at the same time, as I worked at Ogilvy throughout this time was when I discovered stop motion video. Mm-hmm. And this is when I started my Instagram account was basically like a pop art stop motion feed. I was not on my Instagram account with my face, really. It was like my artwork. And I had done so many stop motion videos already that I was starting to make money on Instagram by making stop motion videos for brands. So it was like early influencer stuff, but not with me being the influencer. It was like artist stuff. Right. And I showed her, I showed this woman like my refinery clip, sorry, my um, Hopkins clips, my Today Show clips, my stop motion clips and my Instagram. And I could see her go from being like uninterested to, wow, this girl has a good portfolio. And I walked out of the meeting and about a month later, she became the COO of Refinery29. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And I didn't even know, honestly, I did not know Refinery29. It was before Snapchat really developed. So Mm -hmm. I didn't even like see them as a publisher there. My friends, a couple of my friends had seen Refinery articles like on Facebook and 
had maybe thought that they were like an up and coming digital media company, but this was still in like 2014, 2015 time. So it wasn't like the most amazing thing that she went there. She just contacted me to tell me that she was moving to refinery. And within a month of her being the COO at refinery, her job was to build up the video team. And thankfully she remembered me and all the video content I shared with her at Ogilvy. And she set up a meeting for me to go in and meet with the video team there. That's incredible. And I mean, how many people did you try pitching to? Like everyone you met probably you were like, <laughs> Hey, I'm, I am good on camera. Like, this is what I like to do. Like, I think that's really cool because so many people think that things are just going to come to them, like waiting for things, someone to just reach out to them and like give them their big break when really it, there's so much work behind the scenes. Like if just watching your videos, like I would have not known that you had done all of the, that pitching you did all, you know, and that's how you got your foot in the door at refinery, which opened up so many other doors because all people kind of see is the end result, but they don't mm-hmm. see how hard it is and how how persistent you honestly have to be to get to where you need to go and to get to where you are now. Absolutely. And there's an element of, I think there's, there's two things to note. Number one is I feel like I, you know, I can't say all of everything I've ever done was due to me pitching and, and going at it myself. I think it's important for me to note that prior to the refinery stuff, I, I grew up in just a really connected neighborhood mm-hmm. had, I was like blessed with a very great school that prepared us really well for college. And by the time I got to college, I had like loads of family friend connections that I could tap to get my foot in the door, which right. is how I got all my internships. But what I always tell people is like, once you're at that stage, there's only so much that knowing people can really help you with. And at a certain point, you have to sort of throw out your ability to appear humble, especially in meetings when the whole point of the meeting is to see if this person's interested in kind of helping you get to where you want to go. And at a certain point, you as an asset, like you are an asset for a company. And so by you pitching yourself, it's not necessarily bragging so right. much as it is you showing the company what you can do for them to help them make money. So you're sort of selling yourself to them as something they should invest in to grow even bigger themselves. Yeah, like it should benefit them as well. And I always say like whenever you're pitching to people, it you should always mention of why it will help them. Like you can't just be like, this is awesome for me. Like you should do this for me. Like it's always should be turned around. It's a why would they want to take the time to help you or to listen to you even. So I think that's great advice. Yeah. And once you got to Refinery29, what was your role there? So you were one of the first people in the video team? Yeah. So I got there in 2015 and the video team had maybe 15 total people on it. And they were on this small little floor, which I remember I was kind of upset about because when I got the job, I saw the company had this like two main floors of this building and they were like stylish and, you know, super the way you would think a Refinery29 office would look. Yeah. <laughs> but the video team being new was shoved down 13 floors down on this like little empty floor with no decoration on the walls. <laughs> and I was like, um, can we work on the 23rd floor? Because this is very bleak. Yeah. <laughs> and basically I, after I had that meeting, the meeting was kind of a funny meeting because even though 
when I'm telling the story now, it sounds like obvious that once I get a job offer from Refinery29, I'm going to take it. But in 2015, when I had these conversations, I didn't actually think Refinery29 was better than Ogilvy. I thought it was like a small little unknown startup, whereas Ogilvy was like a hundred year old ad giant. And it took me a really long time to make the transition. Like it took me probably half a year between when I started having meetings and when I actually moved because I just didn't, it wasn't like that impressive of a job opportunity for me. But the way it happened was I went into the meeting room. I shared with them. I kind of was just meeting with them just because the woman set up the meeting, but I was not a hundred percent interested in moving. I just wanted to hear about what they were up to and what types of video content they were making. And the chief content officer sort of like flipped the conversation on me and asked what I wanted to make. And I loved that obviously, because I had a million ideas of video series that I would love to create that were created by young people and for young people. Mm-hmm. And one of them was the five day challenge format, which it didn't have the name try living with Lucy yet. It was just five day challenge video series. And I pitched them kind of a whole list of shows. And then at the end of the meeting, she said to me, so like she was kind of laughing the whole time because she knew that I wasn't sure if I wanted to come. <laughs> and she, she was like, why don't you just write up your dream job description, like write a paragraph. So she mm-hmm. left the room and I typed up this paragraph that encapsulated my dream job, which was producing and being on camera and making stop motion and hosting a series and allowing myself to become like a face of a brand. And I sent it over to her. And when she came back in the room, she just like copy and pasted my description into an offer letter. That's so funny. She really (laughs) wanted you. She did. And, and we talk, we've talked about it since then. And I think what she has said to me is that she had so many people come in the door to interview for jobs that just kind of told her all the things they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And the difference that she saw in me was that a lot of the things that I wanted to do were things that I had already just started doing. <laughs> like I already did that for college just because I wanted to do it. So I started the series and the stop motion. I think she really loved that. I had like this stop motion Instagram business because mm-hmm. She wanted me to start doing that for some of Refinery's brands. And I think she could just see that if there's a person here who's monetizing off of her own Instagram, she's obviously scrappy and can work with low budgets and just like make it happen and make money. And she wanted that for Refinery. Right. So I, she let me pick my job title and I think at Ogilvy, I was just transitioning from a production assistant to an associate producer. So I said, I want my job title to be associate producer and on-camera talent. And I I definitely wanted that part in it because I definitely wanted the on-camera stuff to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though as as I realized when I got to Refinery, I'm really happy that was in my title because pretty much everyone at the company wanted to be on camera too because it just was like a fun thing to do. But I was really grateful that that was actually part of my job description. Yeah, yeah. I went in as an associate producer on camera talent. I started in September, 2015. And basically my first week there, they were just like, go shoot your YouTube show. And I picked my first topic, which was five days of no cell phone, 
So my whole first week of work, I, it was funny because they didn't even have video resources yet. So yeah. <laughs> they told, they wanted me to shoot it on a phone. And I was like, well, I'm doing five days of no phone, so I can't use my phone. So we had to use like other people's phones and so funny. random other, like I used my webcam to record the video portion and I had some random like in-house videographers that were hired for the week, just like following me to around the city while I was shooting it. And it was kind of very scrappily put together, but that was how it all started. That's incredible. And at, at this point, you don't have your own YouTube channel, right? Or when did you start like your own YouTube channel aside from Refinery29? So I going back to your earlier question, I think that the channel that I like always had just from my Gmail account was mm-hmm. there at this point. And really what started happening was as soon as Refinery started uploading videos, once again, I was like not thinking about how I wanted to build my own YouTube channel. So I think what happened was for the first few months of uploading videos on the refinery channel, whenever I would reply to comments, I would reply from the YouTube channel that was created under my refinery email address. And it just said like Lucy Fink and Mm -hmm. people would click over and there was nothing on the channel, but they would subscribe And I think one day I realized that my channel had maybe like 3000 subscribers just from, just from people clicking over after I commented. And I was like, wait, maybe I should be responding from my personal YouTube channel so that I can be growing my own YouTube audience. Even though I still had no intention of posting anything, I just had the foresight to know that at some point I wasn't going to be at Refinery and my channel was going to disappear with my email. Mm Mm-hmm. So I, I started to respond to comments from my personal Gmail probably at some point in 2015 or 2016 and very slowly but surely my channel started growing but there was still no content on it. I think the first time I uploaded content on it was at the end of 2017 and it was, I uploaded like, I, rem- I kind of trying to remember like why I did it but yeah I think I was just like oh wow I have 50,000 subscribers let me try to upload a video and you so you had 50,000 subscribers just from commenting back to people is that yeah that's crazy that you know I think I did do a little bit of I think I did a little bit of work on my channel to kind of make it so that when you know how you can build playlists and make it look like professional to the point where when someone went over they could see my Hopkins videos. They could see my, any previous YouTube content that I had shared, which now that I'm thinking about it, I did upload some random videos in college. Like when my acapella group went on tour, I uploaded a video of the tour (laughs) and I I think I was always making these videos, but it was, I was never uploading it to like be a YouTuber. It was just, I'm putting it up so I can send the link to my parents basically. Um, But I think by 2017, people were realizing that my channel had a little bit of content on it and I was pinning the refinery videos and my Hopkins clips. So when you went to my channel, it looked like a functioning channel and people were subscribing. Okay. Got it. That's so cool. So at what point were you like, I'm gonna do this like consistently, like not just like random one-off videos, like you wanted to consistently upload and how did you even differentiate like Refinery29 content from your own content because I feel like they kind of overlapped you know like you were doing what you loved at Refinery. Yeah I think I remember 
remember at some point in 2017, I thought I'm going to upload a video to my channel. And I think there was a, like a momentary friction where refinery people at refinery no, noticed that I was doing that. And they, I don't think they really understood exactly how YouTube worked, which is that people can subscribe to like thousands of channels. I don't think yeah. they would ever be like, let me unsubscribe to refinery because Lucy has her own channel. Right. Um, but I think they were nervous about it because there were actually a decent number of comments on the refinery channel under my videos with mm -hmm. people saying things like I'm only subscribed to refinery because of Lucy. Oh my God. Which was really nice for me to read. But also I, I understood why when I created my own channel refinery was like, uh Oh, they're going to unsubscribe to us. You can't do this. Yeah. And so there was a moment of some internal meetings that happened about my own channel and like whether I was allowed to have it or not. And I think what I said was the video content I'm creating on my own channel, I'm shooting on the weekends on my own time. So like you guys can't really tell me that I can't do that. Yeah. And I sort of differentiated it because I, I was like, you know, the content on my channel is just vlog style behind the scenes of my life. Whereas my refinery stuff is formatted and is my series. Mm -hmm. But then they started asking me to create vlog content on refinery's channel because vlog content was performing well on YouTube. So they were like, can you just start a series on refinery called Lucy vlogs and just like do your vlog. <laughs> and so then it was kind of like, I guess there's really no difference between what I'm sharing, but my channel is just supplemental or it's like stuff that I'm doing on my own time. And eventually I think they realized, I have to say like, despite that one friction moment, they were an incredible partner in terms of allowing me to build my own brand on the side. And I know of many people that work at other companies that are very similar where they were building internal talent and those companies didn't allow the people to respond to comments at all. Mm -hmm. They didn't want them growing their own YouTube channels. They wouldn't let them, um, if they had a account on Facebook or Instagram, it had to be called like refinery 29 Lucy. Wow. And the examples I'm giving, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to skirt around the word, but I'll just say it. It's Buzzfeed. Oh, I know um, and exactly who you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like there's accounts like Buzzfeed Natalie or Buzzfeed Lucy. And then when the people leave, they've lost their audience. So they're incentivized to stay. And Refinery never did that to me from the start. I think they were open to letting me put my Instagram handle in every video I made and to like intentionally drive people to my own Instagram. I don't think any of us had the foresight of what was going to happen or how I would be able to grow. And I don't necessarily think they would change things if they did know that mm -hmm. I was going to grow, but they were really a good partner at letting me build my own name alongside their brand name. Yeah. And so you made the decision in 2019, right, to quit Refinery and to go and start your own business and do your own thing. So how is that reaction from your audience since they did know you from Refinery? How did they react when you decided to leave? So 2019 was sort of a transitional year for me. It was the year when I officially wanted to sign with a talent agent. So I wanted to go off on my own, which meant I wasn't going to be full time anymore. But I knew that the audience 
was really interested in more five day challenges. So Mm -hmm. I came up with a new structure with refinery for 2019, where instead of me doing a video every week, which was what I had been doing for the past couple of years, we agreed to do 16 videos in the year. So it was going to be four videos every quarter. And I did 16 new five day challenges. And the thing that's kind of interesting is we never really wrapped it up. You know, we never did a final challenge goodbye video because I think the idea, at least from my side, and I think refinery side is that we were actively trying not to put an end button on it and to wrap things up because I think the hope is that, you know, one day I will do another challenge video for them. And it's kind of like a case by case basis now. So if they ever were like, you know, spirulina is trending, maybe Lucy can do a five day spirulina challenge and they had a brand sponsor behind it, then potentially they could reach out and we could just come up with a price for a one off video. Um, And that's kind of where we're at now. And so we never really ended it. I think that the question you're asking about my audience, though, it's a really interesting one because honestly, starting in like 2017, 2018, once I had been doing the series for a couple of years, I was like, okay, I need to do something else. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't, I I love being the five day girl, but like, I don't want to be known for this and only this forever. And I don't want to like, I don't know how to describe it, but I felt like I didn't want to get my audience in a position where if I stopped giving them that content, they were like mad about it. I wanted them to be used to like getting it less and less frequently. Mm -hmm. So what I did was around 2017, I went to refinery and I was like, I want to pitch another series so that I can do half this series and half this series and start to get my audience warmed up to some other formats. And that was when I pitched Lucy for Hire which was like, honestly, my dream show. Yeah. And we had more budget than when we started the Try Living series. So we were able to like go out of the office and shoot on these locations. And that series, we started it and it started doing really well. I would say it never, it never really had the same exact level of notoriety as Try Living with Lucy. But I think a lot of people saw it and just like assumed it was a try living with Lucy episode or (laughs) I don't know what people assumed, but really it was, it was just my way of trying to diversify my content. And that was also why I liked adding in the vlogs. So I wanted them to see the content and not think this is not a five day challenge. What are you giving me? Yeah. And basically like I'm at a stage now where I haven't made a five day challenge video in like half a year. And I probably get like two to three inquiries a week of people being like, when's your next five day challenge video coming out? (laughs) And I think the thing that I have to remember is that YouTube, it's not like Instagram where if someone wanted to like find a video of mine on Instagram, they'd have to scroll back for a year. Mm -hmm. On YouTube, like people are being served my five day challenges every day. Right and are watching them and thinking it's live now. <laughs> and so then they reach out to me and they're like, I just saw your video or Refinery's Facebook page will share the, one of the videos every so often. And people will reach out to me and think I shot it last week. And right. I'm like, that was shot in 2016. <laughs> but it's, it's an interesting thing when you put these videos up online, you kind of have to be prepared to get questions about them mm-hmm. for like the next 10 years, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, I the same thing happened to me when so I ha- used to work for a consulting company um, before I had quit that, and people still are like, so like when are you going to do another week in my life? Like working at the consulting company or what's that like still working there? I'm like, I quit. I don't work there. (laughs) I literally quit over a year ago. Like you look at the date when it's uploaded. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) And sometimes the questions that I get, like they don't even have any context, but like I, you know, I shared a five days of indoor gardening video two years ago and then refinery uploaded it a couple of weeks ago and I would just get like a random DM from someone being like, how are your plants doing? Like yeah. <laughs> as if I just shot that video. Meanwhile, I don't even live in that apartment anymore. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. And, and that happens to me with a lot of things. Like I uploaded a video in 2017 sharing my surgery story when I got my gallbladder removed. Mm-hmm. And I get messages every week from people asking about my recovery and telling me that they're about to get their gallbladder out and they came across my video and they want to know what foods they should avoid. And I'm like, I am so far out of this stage of my life. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that YouTube does that. I didn't think about that. How, yeah, Instagram doesn't show you a, a picture from someone five years ago, you know, but right. I'll randomly get videos that are so old recommended to me. And I'm, I'm like, why are these getting recommended to me? Like, I don't understand why. Or like, I'll still get comments on some videos that are two years old. Like actually one of my most viewed videos I shot in 2018 and it's still getting comments. And I'm like, wow, this is so yeah. Old ago. So And it's great. I mean, that's a great thing that YouTube does because yeah. it keeps your content alive and it helps you be able to monetize off it for longer than just 24 hours, which is amazing. And yeah. even on YouTube, like I never really know why certain videos are getting more views at a certain point but it will just be like a total spike after a month of the video being live and being at you know 15 20,000 views stagnant it will just like explode one day and I'll check it the next week and it's at 150,000 views and I'm just like I'm not complaining about it but I would love to know what I did on that video so that I can put it on all my other videos I know. I feel the same way. I'll randomly a video will do well. And I'm like, okay, I randomly just uploaded that, but that's nice. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you've done so much already. I feel like you're, you really show that you like take a lot of initiative. You created your own basically job description at refinery. You like take things into your own hands, which I really, really like. And I think that that's such good advice to give. What's something that you would tell your younger self though, that maybe like some advice that you would give your younger self or maybe something to look forward to. I always like asking these questions because I feel like, again, being in the future, like you can hindsight is 2020 type of thing. So I'd yeah. love to know. So I think my answer is going to be kind of in light of some of the things going on in the world right now, particularly with Black Lives Matter. I think I, one thing that I've been reflecting on a lot over the past couple of weeks is how blown away I am kind of by how blinded I have particularly been by the way society is run and Mm -hmm. how I fully used to fall into the category of people who just totally believed in this individualism aspect and you know work hard and you can make it and if you're not making it it's because you're not working hard and now that I look back on some of my experience, particularly being at Refinery where there were a lot of people of color that worked alongside me, you know, not that I ever 
did anything consciously that I regret doing. Mm -hmm. I think it's more the things that I didn't do that if I was in that position now, I would totally be championing them way, way harder. And, you know, one thing in specific that I'm thinking of is I remember there was a channel on refinery that was all the black girls at the company were trying to get this channel off the ground called R29 Unbothered. And it was basically like the refinery 29 black channel and the company kind of gave them a bit of a hard time at starting it. And then once they gave them the green light to do it, they were working with the smallest budgets you could imagine to produce their content. And it's not that I had huge budgets, but I definitely had enough budget to produce my content comfortably and if I was working there today, I would literally give half of my production budget yeah. to them and I would just work scrappier and I would like share more of the wealth and share more of the opportunities. And I think that's just an important thing for anyone who's going into media or honestly any field, but especially people in media, because we know the media industry has made a lot of mistakes Right. for the people who are in those companies now and who are not in my stage where they're past it and on their own. I mean, what I can do is hire people that are diverse and work with people that are diverse. But what the people at the company can do is like really just look around who's working with them and make sure that despite the inequities in society, that they're making sure the conditions internally are as fair as they could be. Mm-hmm. I really love that because I think it's, I mean, especially this podcast is about like, like sharing other people's stories and seeing how people got to where they are. And I think it is important to acknowledge, like even for me, I've always said like, if I, if my parents didn't buy me my first laptop when I was younger, or if they didn't like help me out with like the food that I ate or any expenses that I had, like I would never have been able to afford a camera or Final Cut Pro or things like that, that like, I'm not saying I didn't work hard because it's not about that. It's about literally even buying like a laptop or a computer or not having to worry about bills to pay and things when you're younger. So I think that I've been really trying to mention that a lot more and realize that I do have such a I am super privileged and like really realizing that it's not like you were saying it's not just like oh work hard and you'll get it like that's a very it is a kind of like privileged thing to say it's not to say that working hard doesn't go unnoticed or anything like that but it is you have to recognize that and when you are like in a position of power or in a position where you can hire people kind of like you're doing to recognize that is really important so I really like that you said that to your younger self because it's something that I was really like not paying attention to either when, you know, so now that I am starting a company and like looking, reaching out to more people and collaborating with more brands to actually like focus on that and to see who I'm hiring and see who I'm working with, I think it's like super, super important. So I really like that advice and I would give that to my younger self as well. (laughs) Great. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I would love to have all your links and everything below. So where can they find you? Amazing. So Instagram is at Lucy B. Fink, spelled L-U-C-I-E-B-F-I-N-K. Then my YouTube channel, which I always list Instagram first, but YouTube yeah. just <laughs> broke to become my biggest platform. So I guess go to YouTube first. Congrats. And my YouTube channel is just youtube.com slash Lucy B. Fink also. And those are kind of my two biggest channels, although I do have a Facebook page, which is also Lucy B. Fink, and I'm also on 
Snapchat, which I don't use often, but I just discovered I have 80,000 Snapchat subscribers. So maybe I should use it. Yeah. More. I've like privated my Snapchat. I'm like, I'm <laughs> going to keep this between friends. All but <laughs> Snapchat is Lucy Fink. Um, I think with no, there might be a dash between Lucy and Fink. You I'll probably it find it. Just notes. search it. Yeah. And then I also started a TikTok, obviously, and it's just Lucy B. Fink underscore official. And I'm trying to figure that one out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am too. I'm like, I need to get on it. I have one, but like, I don't know what to post. <laughs> I think it's, you know, you can't, especially with people who are doing this as a business and not just people who are like for fun on the side posting videos, you do kind of have to remember that you can't be everywhere at once and you yeah. can't be doing everything. And, you know, with, with you, you've got Instagram, you have your podcast, like you have your YouTube, there's things that you have that are doing great. And I would advise you as well as myself, yeah. to just like continue investing in the places where you're seeing the most return and just using the other platforms like for fun without worrying Very about true. them yeah. being like money makers. <laughs> right. No, that's so true. But thank you so much for coming on my podcast. This was an awesome conversation. It was so fun. Thank you. I'll talk yeah. to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. And that was it for today's episode. I hope that you guys enjoyed the episode with Lucy. She is so sweet and just such a positive light. And I know that you guys love her as much as I do. I love her content. It's great. Highly recommend checking out her Instagram course that I mentioned in the beginning and all of her other content that she posts out there. Um, but I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Again, if you like it, please be sure to give it five stars and also join the Facebook page, join the Instagram or follow the Instagram, I should say. Um, but yeah, I hope that you guys liked it. How many times am I going to say that I never know how to end these podcasts I'm always like hope you enjoy thanks hope you enjoy thanks and it's just that over and over again so I'm just gonna end it here but yeah I will see you guys next week with another episode of the real real podcast Hey, my name is Lovan Rumpf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then. Hey there, my name is Renee Rena, and I am the mom friend you have always wanted. I am also the host of the Mom Room Podcast. We publish two episodes per week, a co-hosted episode on Tuesdays and a solo episode on Thursdays. Popular topics include pooping and having sex after giving birth. I have a solo episode where I talk about not sharing a bed with my husband and why that's okay. I hope you'll tune in to these conversations every week. Join us on Instagram at the Mom Room Podcast and start to feel a little less alone in this crazy thing called motherhood.